I'm Philippa Tolley and you're listening to Insight from RNZ. This program delves into how air accidents are investigated in New Zealand. 0245, Flying plays a key role in New Zealand's economy and safety is critical, most importantly to passengers, but also on a wider scale, such as ensuring the confidence of tourists. Crash investigations are crucial to try to identify a cause and prevent further possible loss of life. But questions are being raised about some of the investigations carried out by the Transport Accident Investigation Commission. At 1493, Aviation globally is bigger than ever, with over 100,000 flights being scheduled every day. However, it is still the safest form of transport, that is for flights with big commercial airlines. In New Zealand, many of the most recent fatal crashes have happened in the South Island, where the current tourist boom is bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars. They've mostly involved small planes and helicopters, just the sort of air transport used by tourists to view or get into remote mountainous parts, where the weather is often dangerously changeable. But the agency that investigates the most serious accidents appears to have been short of cash for over a decade, and crash victims' relatives and aviation engineers are also worried that in some cases New Zealand is failing to find the true cause of air accidents. I'm Peter Newport, and in this insight I look at the workings of the Transport Accident Investigation Commission and ask whether there's a risk to air safety as a result of potentially not knowing what has caused some of the most serious air crashes in New Zealand. While major passenger aircraft disasters are rare, small aircraft crashes are more frequent. According to government agency data, New Zealand has an accident rate almost five times worse than the United States when it comes to small aircraft. In fact, some data suggests that flying in small planes and helicopters is even more risky than driving on the roads. A study referred to on a government website says that in 2004, the New Zealand air accident rate was similar to Australia's, but New Zealand crashes killed twice as many people. On the morning of November 21, 1961, the sporty-looking twin-engined Aero Commander of Bay of Plenty Airways was flying scheduled Flight 92 from Wellington to Rotorua and Tauranga. Its familiar shape and sound was spotted high over the slopes of Mount Ruapehu. The Aero Commander aircraft crash killed all six people on board, and the air accident investigators of the day said the crash was caused by the plane clipping the mountain. But many aviation experts at the time thought that the investigators had got it wrong. Those experts believed metal fatigue was actually to blame. The investigators had documented a large crack in the wing and noted the wing had separated from the aircraft. But the independent experts were convinced the wing fell off the plane before the crash and was the true cause of the accident. It took almost 20 years and the dedication of a Christchurch University engineering professor, Les Erasmus, to prove that the wing fell off the plane before it hit the mountain. In the meantime, there were 24 other incidents around the world where the wing fell off the same type of plane. Patrick Connor is one of New Zealand's leading experts in air accident investigation. He specialises in analysing metal for fatigue. So did he accept the original Ruapehu crash findings? No, the real cause of the accident was that there was a very large fatigue crack in one of the wing spars of the aircraft. 
and uh, the aircraft evidently hit a bit of light turbulence, and that was enough to take the wing off, so the aircraft crashed after that. That was, that was ignored in the initial investigation. But surely that aircraft should have been grounded globally, but that didn't happen. It certainly didn't happen, no, and there were further accidents after that event. The Ruapehu crash showed the importance of getting an investigation right and finding its true cause. That one particular air crash back in the 1960s highlighted the very high risks involved in not investigating air accidents properly. New legislation established the Transport Accident Investigation Commission in 1990, driven by the need for an independent accident unit that was separate from New Zealand's transport regulators. The purpose of the Commission is to determine the circumstances and causes of accidents and incidents with a view to avoiding similar occurrences in the future rather than to ascribe blame to any person. But is it funded to carry out the work it's supposed to do, preventing future accidents? In 2002, 12 years after being formed, the total budget to investigate all of New Zealand's non-road accidents was just under $2 million. In 2001, an Iroquois helicopter crashed near the central North Island town of Taumanui, killing all three people on board. Take's job is to investigate the most serious aviation crashes, and they sent an investigator to the scene. In the draft report, the investigation indicated the Commission had identified an engineering fault as the cause of the crash. The engineer in charge of maintaining the crashed helicopter was Mark Saunders. I actually got a, um, a newspaper, and I think it was one of the Auckland ones, and it's on the front page, and they're stating that uh, the relatives are seeking um, penalties against the engineers for basically the murder of their loved ones. And I'm thinking, what the heck? We weren't told anything. We weren't... You know, I would have thought that uh, somebody would have come back even the police or somebody would have said, hey, these are, this is going ahead. The take investigation said Mr Saunders had left out a vital split pin from the helicopter's tail rotor, which caused the rotor to fail and the helicopter to crash. The pilot of the helicopter was Simon Green. His widow, Helene Green, keeps part of the helicopter wreckage in the garden of her South Auckland home as a tribute to Simon. My son thinks he'll make something for us. Simon's grandson out of these bits some, at some stage. Just talk us through what we're seeing here. They just look like bits of grey metal, but to tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, they are just bits of grey metal. They're, they're the, the reason he lived and the reason he died, actually. He lived for flying and, he, and the reason he died was in the air. Helene Green read the take draft investigation report and instantly believed there was something wrong. It was like something just doesn't fit. I can't tell you, it's more like a gut feeling, but just doesn't fit. And, you know, you keep trying to push into the industry to find out if there's somebody there that could enlighten you or um, give you some feedback. And really, you have to try and find that for yourself. Eventually, Helen Green did find someone to help, aviation engineer Graham Boostred. Helene came to me with um, some concerns over what she'd read in the accident report. I'd read the same report and was alarmed at what I thought was uh, a load of rubbish, basically. Um, 
on an engineering basis, what they were asking us to believe was close to impossible. And another helicopter engineer, Tom McCready, agreed. I looked at that old photo for at least 30 seconds and said, well, that's rubbish. You can see quite clearly the way the threads are laid, have laid backwards, that that, that nut has been forced off the bolt. It was that simple. I mean, I'm an engineer. I'm not a particularly sharp engineer. Any engineer would have looked at those threads and come to the same conclusion at about the same pace I did. It wasn't hard. Concern about the take report became more widespread, with the coroner, Timothy Scott, eventually calling for a new investigation into the helicopter crash, accusing the commission of being secretive and unhelpful. Good evening, this is Mary Wilson with Checkpoint on National Radio. Today, civil aviation and air accident investigators are slammed for their handling of a fatal helicopter crash. The Tomaranui coroner says an investigation into a fatal helicopter crash was so flawed it should be redone. The report is highly critical of the way the Transport Accident Investigation Commission investigated the fatal crash. At this stage, the pilot's widow, Helene Green, decided that she had to take on the role of an amateur air accident investigator. Working with engineer Graham Boostred, she claims that much of the helicopter wreckage had not been examined by take. Well, you would expect them to have looked at everything. I would have thought, really, that every piece of, of the helicopter would have been thoroughly gone over and thoroughly investigated. And with, as they say, they work with an open mind. Well, I didn't see an open mind there at all. I saw that they already had decided what caused the accident, because if you haven't decided what caused the accident, you would look at every piece with a very open mind. Take disputes Helene Green's claim that not all of the wreckage was examined, and has also told RNZ that relatives had information following the crash which helped them discover that the vital tail rotor pin was not missing. This information, says Take, was not available to their investigator at the time of the crash. In 2006, five years after the crash, Take issued a new revised report. The new report did not agree with Graham Boostred's findings, but it did say that the missing split pin was no longer the cause of the accident, suggesting instead that a tail rotor blade link had broken due to metal fatigue. The original findings did not leave any sense of vindication for Mark Saunders, the engineer in charge of maintaining the Iroquois helicopter, which crashed in 2001. He says the Commission failed to properly cancel their first report and actively publish the new findings. About a year or so, I looked on, a, I think it's an American site, and I got in there, and the report was still there. No addendum to, to it to say that it was now superseded or anything like that. And their idea of an apology was about a one-liner on their little letterhead, but it's cost a lot of money. It has cost a hell of a lot of money to have to fight this, of which I borrowed and, you know, everything like that. The total financial cost to Mark Saunders to clear his name ran into hundreds of thousands of dollars. He says the stress of being wrongly blamed damaged his engineering business and had serious physical consequences. My health is probably not as good as what it uh, should be. And it's... You have people that look at you when they find out that you're a part of it, thinking, did you do it? And so you've always got that doubt in your mind when people are staring at you and having conversation. Are they actually believing you? Or have they made up their mind because they have seen a quick report? In the view of engineer Tom McCready, 
the final report was typical of a pattern he's observed would take investigations. They're pretty quick at, uh, at getting into people. I think it's a convenience thing, and they're very much into probable cause. Well, probable isn't really good enough when you're dealing with people's reputations and, and uh, careers and businesses and all the rest of it. Mark Saunders is less polite. How many more people have to be victimised from, I mean, families, um, people that have been involved? How many more people have got to be in that situation before these guys actually get somebody in there that, A, knows how to do investigations and how to do investigations properly and actually treats people like human beings rather than treat them like dregs. Insight asked the chief executive of Take, Lois Hutchinson, if she was satisfied that the investigation into the Tamaranui helicopter crash had been handled properly. A principle of our um, functioning is that our inquiries are in fact deemed always open and open to new and significant evidence. The Commission doesn't shy away from um, addressing um, the truth. It's its task to look at the truth without fear and favour. We don't get defensive about it. The um, Annex 13 um, allows for and expects a resumption of any case where there is key and significant information. In respect of the accident that you're referring to in Taramanui, uh, two years after that um, accident, new information was laid before the Commission in respect of similar helicopters involving in-flight breakups with tail um, rotor blade failures. Um, the Commission, when looking at that, could see that that was new and significant um, information and reopened the case. It's what it was required to do under um, ICAO, and it did so without hesitation. The Annex 13, referred to by Lois Hutchinson, is the international standard for conducting an air accident investigation. Prime Minister John Key has visited Fox Glacier to offer his support following the crash 12 days ago that killed nine people. The plane crashed seconds after takeoff on a routine tourist skydiving flight. Five residents and four tourists died. That accident created headlines around the world that centred on the risks associated with New Zealand's adventure tourism industry. Within two to three days, the take investigator released much of the wreckage, including control systems, to the aircraft co-owner John Kerr, saying the wreckage could be buried and was no longer needed as photos had been taken and what they considered to be important parts moved to Christchurch. John Kerr and Rod Miller owned the business, but Rod Miller had flown on the fatal flight as a tandem instructor and was killed along with the eight others on board. Following Take's directions, Mr Kerr had the Walter Fletcher aircraft wreckage buried on the airfield only a few metres from where the plane had crashed and burst into flames. Within a month, the Civil Aviation Authority, in consultation with Take, had issued an emergency directive highlighting the risks of skydive planes operating when they were out of balance and overweight. Take's draft report was then published, which attributed the likely cause of the crash to weight and balance problems. In other words, the plane was too heavy, with the position of the passengers making the aircraft dangerously unbalanced. The company co-owner, John Kerr, says he was, in effect, being blamed for the accident as the person responsible for loading the aircraft correctly. It's pretty hard. You're nine people have been killed and you're getting the blame basically for it because no one else has left. So it was quite traumatic 
to go through that. Um, notwithstanding, nothing as traumatic as what the families have gone through, losing their loved ones. Uh, what I went through is nothing compared to that. But then things start to change. You start to have reason to doubt takes findings. When did those alarm bells start ringing? Pretty much when I read the draft report before the final report came out. And then I started going through things and questioning things. and Because I knew I was the only one left alive that had flown that aircraft and I knew what it flew like. Um, and some of the stuff they were saying in the report I just knew wasn't true. Take's findings were eventually published in August 2012, still saying weight and balance were the most likely cause of the crash. But by 2012, the Civil Aviation Authority had decided that weight and balance were not the most likely cause, even going so far as to supervise test flights in Hamilton that proved the same Walter Fletcher-type aircraft with the same weight and balance issues could be flown safely even with one hand. And just as in the Tamaranui crash, the coroner's court was to be the forum for subsequent criticism of both takes investigation methods and conclusions. The coroner, Richard McElray, did not accept takes conclusions and said in his 2013 findings, something unusual, such as inadvertent pilot error, engine malfunction or mechanical failure has occurred at takeoff. But all over the world, newspapers, radio and TV had already reported the accident cause as too many skydivers sliding to the back of the plane, putting it out of balance, making it unflyable. The relatives of victims took to the media to criticise New Zealand as being an unsafe place to fly, with one of the most vocal critics being Chris Coker in the United Kingdom, who lost his son Bradley Coker in the Fox Glacier accident. Mr Coker appeared on BBC Breakfast Television with his late son's girlfriend, Heli Denham. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and anyone that had that uh, urge to want to do a skydive, it was the perfect day to do it. Mm. And that was when Bradley decided to, uh, on the spare of the moment, on that day, to take part in a skydive. And there was a problem with the aircraft, which was what, as far as you can recall? It, it was overweight and out of balance. During the BBC interview, Bradley's father, Chris Coker, then made it clear that he blamed poor New Zealand safety standards for his son's death. Pressure was increasing from relatives and more questions were being raised in the media over Take's Fox Glacier report findings. In 2014, a TV3 current affairs program excavated the wreckage which Take had released to be buried. Much of the aircraft's control systems were found under the ground, including the control column, along with the wires and pulleys which control how the aircraft flies. Take's own records show that the same control structures had been implicated in 28 other incidents involving the same aircraft type. However, Take has also told Insight that this number of incidents is not unusual, and not all of the incidents involved component failure. At least 20 Walter Fletcher aircraft, like the one that crashed at Fox Glacier, were produced in New Zealand. The plane is a re-engined version of the New Zealand-made Fletcher top-dressing aircraft, fitted with a more powerful, low-cost engine, the Walter turbine from Eastern Europe. Prior to the year 2000, the Walter Fletchers had crashed five times, and then in 2002, 2005, in 2010, the model was involved in a series of fatal crashes. Ten Walter Fletchers are still operating today. 
the others have been taken off the CAA register as a result of either crashes or being withdrawn from service for other reasons. So could better information about previous crashes have prevented the 2010 skydive plane accident? And did something still undiscovered by take happen to that Fox Glacier skydiving aircraft that might happen again in the future? Four months ago, the Transport Accident Investigation Commission said it had changed its view on the cause of the accident. The Chief Commissioner, Helen Cull QC, called a media conference in Wellington to reveal the new, revised accident report. The Commission had moved from saying that weight and balance were the most likely cause of the Fox crash to saying almost the opposite, that weight and balance were not likely to have been the primary cause. Furthermore, the Commission acknowledged that burying parts of the wreckage should not have happened, and that damage caused to the buried parts made it harder to find the true cause of the accident. The revised report concluded that the cause of the accident may now never be known. In the revised report, the Commission also stated there had been no formal request to review the findings or any new evidence, but it then pointed to what it said were unspecified evidential matters. At that stage, there had been considerable pressure from the media and the relatives. Journalists at the media conference had expected the Commission to make an apology to the families, and that was the focus of questions to Helen Cull. No, there hasn't been an apology to the families, um, and the review has been done to ensure that the families and all of the interested persons can see how seriously take takes its position. So... Our actions are speaking louder than words, I would have thought. We have said, if there is something wrong with the process, let's look at it and let's review it. Uh, let's get more resources. Um, and, and that has been a process, as you can see. The actions, as I've said, from TAKE state everything that TAKE has done. And, uh, frankly, um, your characterisation of lacklustre inquiry and, and there should be apologies raises a question about what has actually needed to be apologised for. This investigator has actually done a very, very good job. The minister responsible for TAKE is Associate Transport Minister Craig Foss. So does he think TAKE should have apologised to the families? I asked exactly the same question. Did they believe they should apologise to those given some of the, um, the, uh, the, the, the media and communications at the time which we were all aware of? and uh, they felt no, but what they did do, I'm again quite sure they wrote or engaged with the families who are, as I said, all over the world. Um, some engaged, some didn't engage, some were comfortable, some are still quite aggrieved and uh, are still pursuing their options, which is, again, that's absolutely fine. It sounds like if you had your way, you would have apologised. Well, it's, it's whatever the circumstances are at the time. If, if someone apologises, the question is, well, what are they apologising for? If it's disrespectful, uh, you know, someone may apologise for that. Or if it's errors in judgment or process or whatever it might be, um, you know, that has uh, different and perhaps larger connotations. Uh, but I'm, again, comfortable with take. But at the end of the day, Simple empathy and respect uh, for those that are going through a tragedy um, is always welcome. But regardless of the apology question, could the investigation in this case and in others have been affected by a lack of funding? 
Insight has learned of financial and resourcing problems at Take going back as far as 2003. After making requests under the Official Information Act, Insight has seen hundreds of pages of documents that chronicle repeated bids by Take to the government for more funding. Those bids all highlight the risk to public safety and the fact that Take was not complying with standards set down by the United Nations body responsible for global aviation safety. That's ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. The main compliance issues centre on two issues. Firstly, that the investigations are taking too long to be produced, and secondly, that the workload on investigators is between two and four times the level recommended by ICAO. After the Fox Glacier skydive investigation became the subject of widespread media scrutiny, a new business case released to RNZ was presented by the Ministry of Transport to the Transport Minister Simon Bridges in December 2014. It said there was an increasing divergence between Take's performance and the expectations placed on the Commission by the government, international bodies and the general public. Responding to that comment, the Chief Executive of Take, Lois Hutchinson, told me there is an increasing number of cases that are ever more difficult coming before the Commission, particularly in relation to adventure tourism. We are finding that we are increasingly getting more complex cases coming through, largely through the interests of overseas nationals who are very much caught up in um, the adventure tourism space. Those um, interests are becoming increasingly more litigious and there is a bigger demand for um, information and the kind of data and the immediacy and information exchange which we can't always address just because we are structured to operate in a certain way. There is, a, if you like, a natural time cycle for the Commission's inquiries. If we're looking at anything less than six months, I would be really concerned if we were putting um, cases out on that. What we do do, if it's slipping into that, and we feel that it might take longer than 18 months, we try to get interim reports out so that we can keep people appraised of the facts as allowed under our Act. Is it your job as Chief Exec to say to the Minister, we don't have enough money, we simply can't do this job? Or is it your job to do your best with the resources you have available? Both. We work on both principles. We're an independent Crown entity. We're fully funded by the Crown. While we have systems in place to draw on resources in large events, those are locked in through international protocols, we are planning for those events, and that business case that we put forward was our case to argue that in order to remain resilient and more responsive, we needed to build our capability in those areas. And the Ministry of Transport and the Ministers of Transport supported us in that, so we got more funding. In part two of this investigation, Insight looks further into takes performance and funding. I'll be asking whether the extra money approved by the Transport Minister will allow TAKE to meet government, regulator and public expectations. There's new information about the 2010 Fox Glacier crash and we take a closer look at a recent fatal helicopter crash near Wanaka which could have safety implications for New Zealand's entire aviation and tourism industries. That Wanaka crash killed the husband of Adele Box but she lost faith in Take's investigation. The second part of this insight will also examine why so many engineers in the New Zealand aviation industry have such a negative view of Take's performance. Graham Boostred is just one of many who have spoken to Insight.
within the industry uh, after an accident, um, comments are like, uh, I wonder how they'll get this one wrong. Uh, it's become so commonplace. I'm Peter Newport, and you've been listening to the first part of an insight investigation into the Transport Accident Investigation Commission. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. And do join us again for the second part next week.